I want to preach this morning from 2 Kings chapter, uh, chapter 4, but in this section of Scripture, 2 Kings 3 to 5, I want to encourage us in our faith and remind us that our God is a God of miracles. I don't know about you, but sometimes you can walk and you just forget some things, the wonder, the mystery. God is a God of miracles. And in 2 Kings 3 to 5, you see Elisha is on the scene. He's the, the new prophet in town. And in those days, Jesus hadn't come yet. You had this God man, this prophet who would speak God's words to his people, and, and they would usher in what God was doing, and he would speak through them. Fortunate today, we have Jesus, we have the Spirit of God, and so we can go directly to Jesus. But in those days, God would use Men like Elijah and Elisha and other prophets. And we see these seven miracles in these three little chapters. It's awesome. The first one, God miraculously brings water in Moab. Secondly, he provides miraculous oil for the widow. And we're going to preach on that scripture today, a miracle of provision. Then we see the miraculous thing, this Shunammite woman is kind to Elisha, and they're desperate for a child, and then a miracle happens. They fall pregnant with a child in circumstances that were miraculous. The miraculous provision of life. And then that same child in a later stage gets terribly sick. And she knows God is a miracle worker. So she calls on the man of God to come. And he lies with the child and sees the life of God breathe back in resurrection power and life. I just love these miracles. And God miraculously heals. There's this poison in the food. And God comes and heals the poison. Then multiplies the food. He doesn't just, oh, well, I took the poison out. No one's going to die. He multiplies the food as well. These are the miracles of the God to whom we sing. These are the miracles and what he does when his people call on his name. And lastly, I love this one. There's a, a very senior um, commander, captain in the army of Aram. His name is Naaman. He has leprosy. And he goes and he's got all the resources of the land and the king's council can't help him. All the king's doctors can't help him. So he calls on the name of the Lord Almighty and he gets healed. And it says his skin becomes the skin like that of a baby. He doesn't just get his leprosy taken away. He gets his scars taken away. I mentioned all those miracles because this morning, I want to preach this morning, a simple priest called A Million Little Miracles. And I don't want to downplay miracles, but I want to tell you that your miracle is not outside of the scope of what God does. What you need or what you need in your life and the breakthrough you need or the change you need broken or the provision that you require or the economics of a land. Do not surprise God. He is not intimidated by your circumstance. He is not, oh, jeez, they're asking that one again. Why that one? I can multiply fish and loaves. No one eats fish these days. It's like, why? No, God's saying, actually, I want to just remind you that I'm the God who's above it all, beyond it all, the God of miracles. And I want to shake up the church and remind the church that the church is called to be a house of miracles. No, I haven't come back from sabbatical. It's only about miracles now. I'm just excited about what Jesus does. And I need to see it too. Maybe let me just be honest. I need to read the word of God and believe what he says about himself. So I want to read from 2 Kings 4 this morning, a scripture that was mentioned in our evening service last week. And as the man mentioned, I was like, yes, that's for us now. Read with me. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? It's, you would think it's quite obvious how he could help her, and yet he asked, How can I help you? It's like one of those telecenters. You know, you phone them and they, Hello, how can I help you? Well, I'm phoning you. 
You know. Anyway, sorry, that's just me. How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour, uh, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. He re but he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. God, I pray as we come to your word this morning, Spirit of God, ignite fires and passions again. Revival fires to burn, Lord. Desires to see your kingdom come, Lord. To raise our expectations of the Almighty One, the resurrected One. To ask again. To cry out again. Whether we feel like we're stuck in a system we can't get out or whether we are on the top of the mountain having just experienced your grace. I pray, God, pull each person into more of you this morning. Your desire to build a house of faith and a house of miracles, we declare this morning. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. So this is a situation. She is a widow. It's a tough situation. She's a widow, she's a faithful lady whose husband served in the company of the prophets and this family would have been a faithful family. It's not just that, she, she's in a tough spot because there is a creditor coming and what would have been normal in those days, normal, acceptable, actually common practice. Common practice in that days. if there's a debt, unable to pay, your children become a slave to your creditor. Unfortunately, in our world today, it's a normal practice too. We just don't see it that way. Yeah. So when we get debts that we don't deal with, that we can't allow God to break, and unfortunately, there is always a slavery attached somewhere. And so we need to see that, understand that. But this is a tough scenario, and she does what she, she could do a million things. She could make a plan. She could hustle, but she knows of God. She's been around his presence. She was married to a man who served God daily on a daily basis. And all she does, she approaches the man of God. Now we get to approach Jesus through the Spirit of God. Now we know that. But in those days, the only way that you could approach God was to approach his man at that time, his prophet to the land. And her reality is that she's dead. She's in debt. She's broke. She's lost her husband. All she's got is loss going on around her. So what does she do? She cries out. I don't know, I read that line, I thought, when last did you cry out? I've cried out more in the last year than ever in my life. And yet this lady cries out. She doesn't do it quietly, wait for a moment, be polite. She is desperate for her miracle. Why? Because her children are about to be taken into slavery. And although it was common and normal in the day and their neighbors were going, well, they'll be fine. We've seen this before. They can work their way out of it. She was desperate for something that only God could do. She was probably struggling with depression, feeling overwhelmed and lonely and going, where is this God whom I've served? Don't know, when you read the Bible, do you put yourself in these people's places? 
This is her children. These are her boys. She's in poverty. See, and unless we encounter from a place of poverty the glorious provider, I'm telling you, our poverty, whether it is financial poverty, will always end up in slavery. We live in the world of never enough. Not just a song from the greatest showman. We live in the world where there's never enough. It doesn't matter we've got millions in the bank or no money in the bank. It seems like the narrative that everyone speaks when we speak finances, I never have enough. Why? Because fear is driving me into that stuff. And I'm telling you, if that is the narrative and that is a story, you end up in slavery. We emotional poverty. We become slaves to our losses and our pains. And everyone has experienced loss in the last two years emotionally. Everyone. But will you become a slave to that loss? What about relational poverty? And so I, I, I can't get the relationships and the dynamics, so I become a slave and my sexuality becomes a slave and my habits and my... Unfortunately, that pattern of poverty to slavery hasn't left us. Maybe that's your story today. God wants to do a miracle in your story. And so the, this prophet man, this God man asks her, what do you have? Weird question. Like, what do you have? She's coming because you know I've got nothing. I've just told you, my kids are going to slavery, which means I've literally got nothing. Do you think I wouldn't give what I have to save my kids from slavery? He says, what do you have? See, the challenge when we've experienced loss, when we've experienced pain, it often overrides our whole narrative and becomes our whole narrative. Because we've experienced loss, everything is lost, it's all gone, and we forget the miracles that God has done. And the provision and the things that we do have. And he says, what do you have? I'm not asking what you don't have. I'm asking what you do have. And she says, her automatic response, i got nothing. Oh, oh wait, I've got a little bit of oil. Got a little, just a little bit of oil. What's your automatic response now? Two years down in a challenge and, and, and challenge in economics and, and the world's going a little crazy all around and people are making all sorts of statements. What's your narrative? What's your story? What are you telling? Her narrative become, I've got nothing. But it wasn't true. And the end of the story shows us that. See, the challenge when we've lived in deficit long enough, it can be difficult to appreciate the supply that we have, especially when we've lost a lot. It just be, it's difficult to recognize. And I get that. But God's reminding us to be able to recognize that our supply is not of this earth. See, and it's not about the amount of oil or the value. It's not even about, it's not the quantity, it's not the quality. It's the fact that she has oil. Oil being the symbol throughout the Bible about God's presence, his spirit being with there. Oil being the symbol of the Holy Spirit given to us that anoints us. She says, I've just got a little bit of oil. Well, I'm telling you, sir or ma'am, maybe today you've got only deficit in your bank account, deficit in your relationships, deficit in your emotions. I'm telling you, there's a little bit of oil if you've received Jesus. Just a little bit of oil that holds just a little bit of his presence, just a little bit of his spirit. Will you recognize it today? That's all I'm asking you. She didn't. She needed a God man to step in to say, no, there's something there. Elijah says this to her. She says, yeah, I've got some more. Just a little bit of oil. He says, okay. You want your miracle? He gets her to partner in her miracle. 
Oh, but that's works, and that's, that's something else. That's like not God. God does it all. My job is just to moan. <laughs> just remind him that I need a miracle. Well, not if you read the Bible. It just isn't in the Bible. Some dudes had to have their eyes spat in and then go wash them in the river. You know, if they hadn't gone wash them, they would have just got a spit in the eye. That's how it works. Hate to spoil the bubble here. He says to her, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Oh, I mean, are you being ridiculous? Ask my neighbors for jars. Now I've got to be vulnerable. Now I've got to go and expose my deficit. Now I've got to go to my neighbors. They probably don't even like me. Maybe I ignored them in the traffic the other day. And now I've got to go ask my neighbors. And do you think they're not going to ask, why? You want empty jars. Yeah, I need empty jars. But what good is an empty jar to an empty house? The neighbors are going to ask that. Let's be honest. Lash is going, I don't care about your neighbors. You want to see a miracle. Do you want to save your boys from slavery? See, I've got three sons. There's not a worse thought in the world that they would become slaves to a man. The problem is the enemy doesn't work that way anymore. It's got more clever. So he makes them slaves to pain, slaves to addictions, slaves to fears, slaves to insecurities. And I want to say no. So I've got to read this miracle and say, God, what are you showing me? And it's an amazing thing he says to her, don't just ask for a few. So now I must go to my neighbors. Knock, knock, knock. Can I have your empty jars? They're going, that's weird. Don't want me to fill them. Just a little bit. I'll fill them. No, I need them empty. Can I have your empty jars? Okay, cool. No problem. He has one. No, can I have all of them? It's weird, guys. It's a little bit weird. And, and now you've got to go to the neighbors. And, and, and he says this, make sure that they're empty. Why empty? Well, in the beginning... How does the Bible describe the earth? It was empty and formless, and God poured his life. God doesn't want to come on top of what we can provide. Like some, he needs some foundation in our life so he can pour, and he doesn't need it. He needs empty vessels. He pours into empty vessels his life, empty vessels his provision. He may be saying today, I've got nothing good. You are perfect for a miracle. Perfect. You are perfectly positioned for God to do a miracle in your life. says, okay, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Take your family with you on this faith journey. See, these sons don't even probably know what's going on. They don't fully comprehend the dynamics of what's at stake here. And neither will your kids right now. So what we do is we put them outside the door. We say, you stay out here. We're going to go do the godly stuff. No, take your kids with you. With you. I shared last week, but the privilege of having time is to take my kids with me to pray and to seek and to ask and to call on his name. He says, take your kids with you, shut the door behind you, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left them and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left, and the oil stopped flowing. See, go inside and start pouring. 
See, God, God is looking for us to pour behind closed doors. Psalm 42, I pour out my soul. Psalm 119, my lips pour forth praise. Psalm 62, pour out your heart to him for God is your refuge. She shuts the doors. It's not an unimportant detail. She pours out in private what she needs to see a miracle in public. When last did you pour out in private? I mean, there's the accusation of the church, and we're hypocrites, and I'm telling you, we are hypocrites if we only ever worship God on a Sunday. We are. And if we only ever call on His name and get excited and shout, come on, God, on a Sunday. We're hypocrites. But we're, in private, we learn to pour out our praise, to pour it out. Not in practice for church or practice for religion. To pour out my praise of the breath in my lungs over people, over the situations, over their lives. And to pour it out in prayer. Then we will see the miracles that he's calling. He's calling us to shut the doors. We live in a world where look at me. Feeding a hungry person. Let's just be honest, guys. That's our world. And the Bible says, put it away. Get behind a closed door. Shut the door. Take your family in and pour out. Pour out and keep pouring until there is not another empty vessel to pour into. And then you will see your miracle. Pour into all the jars as each one is filled. See, Elisha made her do this. He could have done it. But he calls her, he pulls her. She had to trust God, the word that came earlier from Michael. She had to trust God. You have to trust God. And and, and there is biblical precedent to come and get people to pray with you and stand you. But I'm telling you, the greater precedent is my Father, our Father who art in heaven, I trust you. And when I'm calling on prayer, I'm not looking to a man or woman and their faith. I'm asking their faith to partner with my faith to see the kingdom of God break into my story now. Because I need that, and so do you. See, her oil, the amazing thing, she's got little, she starts pouring her little bit of oil into these big empty jars. It doesn't make sense, guys. And so the problem is we just don't pour. We just said, makes, looks more impressive in that little jar. It's like half full in the little jar. And God's wanting me to pour. He says, pour. So she starts pouring, and it fills up. These are either just how to keep the church excited words on a page or there are promises to a next generation of believers who are called to see the kingdom of God breaking in their time. I don't know what you believe, but I believe the second. I believe God's saying he wants me to pour out the little bit of oil I have into a big empty jar, empty jar. And I am the empty jar most of the time. But he's calling me to pour it out so that he can keep filling, keep filling. And it all happening behind closed doors. And it's this perfect pour that she starts pouring and it just doesn't stop. What's keeping you from pouring out right now? What's keeping you? Oh, God didn't the last time. No, I'm telling you, the only de- thing that's keeping you is a, is a trust deficit. The, only, the greatest poverty in too much of the church today is nothing other than a trust deficit in God. And all God's ever looked for is a people who will trust Him. 
The Exodus started with a people who didn't trust him. So he had to turn rivers into blood. He had to do the 10 plagues. He had to take them out. He walked them through rivers so that by the end of the Exodus, as the cloud moved, they moved. As the pillar of smoke moved, they moved. What? They had learned to trust him. The whole Exodus is about one thing, a people who learn how to trust God, not the mechanics of Christianity, not the principles of religion, a trust in a good father. You are good and I will trust you all of my days. She went and told the man of God and said, okay, go sell the oil and pay your debts. If it stopped there, it's a great story. The kids aren't going to slavery, but it doesn't stop there. It never stops there. It never stops there with God. Because although fathers on this earth can give good gifts, how much more the Father in heaven? It carries on and says, you and your sons will live on what is left. You see, the provider has been taken from them in death. But God says, I will step and I won't just pull you out of slavery. I will provide and you will live on me. See, God doesn't just want us out of debt. He wants us in abundance. Two weeks before a national, international pandemic, we preached about the God of abundance, John 10, 10. Do you remember that? I don't believe it any less. I promise you. We've just got to trust to see. Because God just doesn't want us out of, he doesn't just want you out of debt. He doesn't want to just want the wolves from the doors. He wants you living in the abundance of his provision at these times. Not just you, but your family, those around you. God is asking, how can I help you? He's also asking, what do you have in your house? You've got the Spirit of God on you. If you've received Jesus, you've been touched by the Spirit of God. That's what Ephesians tells us. Oh, but I haven't been baptized. I don't care. You've been anointed by the Spirit of God the day, the moment, the second, the millisecond you received his salvation. If you haven't received salvation, Christ, come and pray, and then let's get that oil on you. But you've got oil. Will you pour when no one's watching? Will you pour? Doesn't make sense. And you're filling something really big and empty with something really small that doesn't seem very full but you're not doing it on your own. You've got the God of heaven pouring down. So five, the widow's way to freedom. Simple, simple points, and I change it a little bit. Freedom and abundance. Number one, cry out. So Mark, I don't know when to start. Start by crying out. I've told the story many times, but I had the privilege of doing life-saving in Durban. I was amazed how many people drowned and would only start crying out as they went under the water because we are so full of pride. I'm drowning. Who are you going to tell? Well, start with the one who can change it all. But he's often the last. I've told my mates. I've told my life group. Have you told God in prayer? Ah, flip. Didn't think of that. I wrote letters, I did emails, I complained on Hello Peter, I did everything, but I have you cried out to God? Because every person who's ever seen his greatness in their life has cried out. Yeah. Secondly, stop minimizing what God has put in you. Oh, there's just a little bit of oil. That's heavenly oil. Yeah. Yeah. It's supernatural. 
Humble yourself and obey the word of God. Oh, you've got to go ask the neighbors. I don't know what God's going to ask you to do in your miracle. It might not be going and ask the neighbors. But I pretty much guarantee it'll be something. Why do you think sometimes we say, will you, will you come to the front? Will you step up? Because it's an action of faith. There's a demand upon us. Fourth, win the private war. I'm just going to pour and I'm going to keep pouring. And if it feels like I'm pouring myself out to the end, well, keep pouring because God fills empty vessels. And lastly, receive more than you asked for. Our God comes to give life and life in abundance. Not the words of a prosperity gospel preacher. Don't go shoot me down. Mark, you're going prosperity. No, it's in the Bible. Jesus' words. John 10.10. 10. full of life. Enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but our God comes to give life and life in abundance. Abundance. And the problem is we lived in poverty and so close to the line, we've forgotten that abundance is even a possibility and we don't even have a context for it. And he wants to remind us in his word that comes upon us to lift our spirit at this time.